Welcome back to The Human Exception. This week we have a very special guest, Laura R. Samoten, author of The Sins on Their Bones, a queer historical fantasy book rooted deep in Jewish folklore and mysticism. Hallie got the opportunity to get an early read of this book and was blown away, so she had to bring Laura on so that we could talk to her about her inspirations and the stories behind this deeply personal novel. This episode is split into two parts. The first portion will be spoiler-free, but the latter will be full of spoilers, so don't listen if you'd rather wait to find out for yourself, which we highly encourage. Don't worry, we'll make it very clear when we're about to go into the spoiler section. Expect foul language, and let's get ready for another human exception. I haven't done so it. If you want to trap an author, just like you'd trap a cat with a box, you just ask them, um, can you pitch me your book? And they'll freeze. Yep. 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 <laughs> I, I, yep. <laughs> so. Yeah, I know. I know. It's like, it, it's such a weird industry standard. And I'm so programmed to ask that now. <laughs> Don't worry. My, so editor, my editor wrote <sighs> me a pitch. Nice. And I memorized it. <laughs> and I deliver it with varying degrees of success. So it's it's like a little bit better now, but um, yeah, <laughs> still the hardest question. Oh my gosh. We, well, we have a guest. This is exciting. This is the, the other voice that you hear in here. We haven't had an author guest since Mike. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And well, we've never had a guest in a while, period. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yes. you're very welcome. I, this is my mm. first ever podcast that I'm shaping as an author. So it's like my my baby author uh, media debut. <laughs> Breaking your podcast. On this shirt. podcast. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's fine. No, it's, it's fine. It's, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's, I, fine, it's, fine, just, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You, the, you, there's no way that it can be more absurd than the game that Nathan and, and one of our friends, Jack, and I just played Thursday night. So it can't be... <laughs> yeah, that was... I cannot get over Richard Wizhouse. How dare you? Richard, which, oh, God. Wiz, Wiz, Wiz Tower? Wiz, Wiz Row. There it is. There it is. See, I, yeah. my brain blacked it out. That's, that's not good. Dick, Dick and Ginny. Dick and Ginny. God damn it, Nathan. That's. <laughs> All right. You guys are just oh saying God. words now. Yeah. I know. I yeah, we kind of were then, too. It was, <laughs> it was late. You know, my brain was fried. Um, so yes, we have a guest, Laura. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Of course, thank you for having me. I hope I remember how yeah. to speak English. You're um, good. You're I, good. I also um, so let me know if my sound quality is okay. I turned my sound dampening all the way on because um, my cat is probably going to start screaming from outside <laughs> this room because he can't. That's come on brand in and... for the podcast, though. That's totally yeah, it's on brand. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. like, let me. It's going to be all of us. Let me try to to like. It sounds like um, a baby that's being tortured, so it's like not a <laughs> cute meow. So hopefully the microphone blocks blocks out that background noise. But um, if it happens anyway, I'm I'm sorry. Don't don't don't. 
Nathan and I have two cats. Courtney has three. Hallie has five. So four. Whoa. Back four. your butt up. <laughs> it is a lot. We <laughs> have a I lot. Know. Yeah. That's, I keep I keep forgetting that Hadfield has moved between houses. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> that he's matriculated a little bit, the sweet boy. Yes, so we've we have cats. And your cats are friggin' adorable. Oh my god. Thank <gasps> you. They they are my pride and joy. Um, <laughs> even if they do sometimes turn the, the language of my documents to Greek, it's it's worth it. <laughs> so we're gonna talk about your book that I uh How Dare You one. Um my- my book, How Dare You Won. Your book, How Dare You Won. Can I, yep. can, oh, can I steal that title? Because I don't have a title for my sequel yet. And I think How Dare You Too would be great. <laughs> uh, it's so good. I really appreciate you letting me read it early. Because I, oh my gosh, as soon as it like came up and we were talking about it, I'm going, this is the kind of, of book that, um, as someone who works in the field, like, we're still missing the queer historicals that don't just solely focus on romance that actually have a really strong historical basis. And we'll, you know, we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but um, so yeah, your book, wouldn't you tell us the title and when it comes out, we'll start there with the easy ones. So the title is the sins on their bones and it comes out May 7th of this year, um, which is now in like four months. It's, it's a little frightening. How long, how long have you had that publication date? Like, how long have you known? Um, so I got the season about a year ago. So I knew okay. that it was going to be summer of 2024 um, last year. But I only got the actual date, like the May 7th date, a few months ago. So that was um, wow. having like a an actual day of the year to peg to when my book was going to come out was both really cool. And also, like, it's real now. Like, there's a yeah. date where other people are going to be able to read this book. Yes. Are, yes. are you going to traditional pub- publishing? Yeah. So my book is actually oh coming God. out from, yeah, from Penguin Random House. Um, so it's, it's definitely been a very long and interesting ride. This is my debut. And so I've learned so much about the publishing industry as a whole. Um, and I'm sure Hallie can talk about that, but it's <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole new industry to learn the ways of. Um, and so it's been cool getting a crash course in business and like all just like the considerations that go into publishing a book um, from how long it takes to print to like how people put together, um, you know, seasons of books that are cohesive um, and how they market them. It's been super interesting. Yeah. It's how long a, it's a... Shopping around for a publisher. So I wrote an, and this is where I reveal I have a very weak grasp of dates. So <laughs> sorry if I screw this up. But time anymore. I wrote, so I wrote the first draft of uh, TSTB um, in June of 2021. Um, I wrote it in a month. Um, wow. Because when I when I get a story in my brain, it just sometimes it just needs to come out. So I wrote this in a month. And then I spent time with my agent revising. Um, we did a few rounds of developmental edits. Then we went out on submission in September of 2021. 
I got an offer from Random House Canada, which is the imprint of Penguin Random House publishing this book um, in February of 2022. I was then able to announce the book in March of 2023. So I waited a year and a month in order to be able to talk about this deal publicly. And wow. the book is going to come out in May of 2024. And then the sequel comes out in May of 2025. So from like writing the first draft of the first book to the sequel being in people's hands is going to be about four years. Um, oh, wow, which right. is, believe it or not, it's that's pretty quick for traditional publishing. Yeah. That's bonkers. How how do you keep that a secret for so long? Um, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be able to do I, that. <laughs> I got a, a, jo- a new job recently and like wasn't allowed to tell anybody for like a month and I almost broke. <laughs> I couldn't imagine not being able to say anything for a whole year. Uh, so, well, okay, so I have a lot of author friends to scream to, um, but it was also really, really hard. Um, Keeping all of that exciting stuff on the download was definitely a test of my patience. Um, <laughs> I have even more really cool stuff that I can't talk about yet um, that I won't be able to talk about for a few more months. So I'm still like, it's like in Mean Girls, like my hair is full of secrets. Um, and it's just like part of an author. You just, you just have to learn how to like, you just have to learn how to tamp it down. Oh. I couldn't do it. I think oh. I would die. Patience game. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My heart wow. would explode. <laughs> Publishing wow. is all about patience. Yeah. And it's yeah. not like it's you can game. forget it. Right. No, yeah. Because really you're constantly. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're constantly working on it. Like, thinking about it. And then like. You're oh. constantly doing it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's ran- it's I, I do want to point out it is Random House Canada, but it is also distributed in the US. So it's not like it's restricted to yeah. it being printed in Canada, just in case anyone's like So in you know, in kind of the weird um things I had to learn about publishing, um, Random House Canada bought world rights, which means that they're distributing the book globally in English. Um, and then, you know, like fingers crossed every author, I think would love to see a translation of their book into a different language. I think that would be super cool. One of my author goals is to have my book printed in a language I can't read. Um, (laughs) and so, uh, you know, but yes, like you will be able to hopefully walk into a bookstore anywhere in the U S and pick up a copy of TSTB. Yep. And you'll have audio. Do you know who your narrator is yet? I don't. Um, and that's another kind of like fun thing that uh, I learned as an author. So audiobooks are produced pretty close to the date of publication. Um, right. It, it seems like they're produced pretty quickly. So I have no information about like who my narrator is, um, you know, when that's going to happen. Um, but I know it's going to be super exciting when I hopefully, you know, like I'm able to hear snippets of the book for the first time because it's like, someone reading your story to you and it coming to life, I think I'm going to die a little bit. That is so cool. Oh my gosh. I, I, I'm, I'm doing a little background work here. I'm a a (laughs) big sleep cast person. And so I am not too proud to admit that I am sure I'm going to use my own book as a sleep cast to fall asleep to. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. I do not. So, okay. So I'll just, you know, out my own ass here. I see your production manager. I do not see a narrator yet. So 
they haven't I don't even know I don't even it. know my production manager but yeah I don't think yeah. they've um yeah. I don't think that they've actually like gone through picking a narrator yet yeah, it's you're right. It is usually quite close. Um, I work with digital audio and a lot of the times when we have to pitch audio to some of the different aggregators, the library aggregators, um, we don't present very far out compared to when we present ebooks. Uh, so like audio, we're, cl- we're two, maybe three months ahead of the on sale date and ebook, we go six or seven months. So it's a it's a weird kind of difference, but it is really interesting. Oh my gosh. See, I told you, Laura, we were going to have these questions and then we were going to freewheel and we've already, <laughs> you haven't, well, even, already you done haven't, that. You haven't even asked me the hardest question yet. So could you do that I just know. to like get it, get it like get it off my get it out of the way. Okay. 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 So yes, Laura is totally right. Anytime, anytime someone's like, so what's your book about? And you're like, oh shit. <laughs> how do I, how do I pitch this? So give us that pitch and who this book is like really like, ideal for uh reader wise okay so the sins on their bones is the story of two jewish ex-husbands fighting on opposite sides of the civil war over the same throne with a very daring and handsome spy man spy master caught in the middle um i think that this book is good for anyone who likes fantasy um hopefully if you like like leigh bardugo or eva reed Catherine arden c.s passat you will enjoy at least some parts of this book. Um, But I really kind of meant this to be broadly enjoyable. Um, So I like to think it isn't too fantasy, like not too many made up words or strange creatures, um, but also, uh, you know, kind of being grounded in something that feels real um, and with some political intrigue to balance out the romance. So I'm hoping that um, for anyone who likes fantasy or historical, um, there's something in here for you. It is, like I told you um, when I was screaming at you <laughs> in the Instagram DM, is that it's it's the kind of book that I was really kind of clamoring for. And I'm so glad to see the the historical aspect of it um, really coming to the forefront because it it does feel very real. And there are parts of it that feel very gritty when they're in that house. I was like right there with them in this old rundown house and they're just trying to hide out in this town. And and I was like, oh my gosh, I can feel how cold it is and how scary it is for them to be hiding from a terrifying um, circumstance and a force that's potentially coming after them. So I just, I don't know. I Anyone who, I think you're right on that. Like the fantasy aspect of it is definitely there, but there is a... a I don't know. I connected with it in a way that just felt really good as a reader. Like I was right there with them. So I just wanted to thank you for that because I really enjoyed no, it. No, thank you. That's like what every author wants to hear. <laughs> so if it's a if it's a historical based world, can you kind of give us that that overview of of these characters and when where they're at in the world? Like what's the world inspired by geography wise? That kind of thing. Yeah. So. Um, I always like to say that I'm not that creative. So when you see things in this book, they're almost always from the real world. Um, This world was based off of um, Eastern Europe in the 1890s. I am an Ashkenazi Jew, and my family came from Lithuania and Poland. um, And right around that time um, and in the following decades, they were kind of being exiled um, from their homes because of pogroms and poverty and um, 
So I wanted to go back to that world where my family was from and use that as inspiration, but kind of flip everything on its head because of course, um, one of the privileges of being an author is that you can do whatever you want in your world. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to make everyone a Jew. And so I did. Um, so the, the whole world is based on real things. Um, Novo Svitsevo is basically Russia. Um, and uh, Lithuania is uh, the Free States. Um, Wilnetsk is Wilma, Russia, which is where my family is from, which today is um, uh, Vilnius, Lithuania. So everything that you see, like streets and, and all that, I just kind of was like Googling historical maps. Um, and so that's, you know, it's all hopefully feels real because it is grounded in the real world. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> I call it historical-ish. It's clearly yeah. not historical because it's not, it's not <laughs> like our world. Um, and I appreciate having a little bit of freedom to not be completely tied, for example, to like what technologies they actually would have had in 1890. Um, in the book, they're just starting to experiment with electric lights, but there are no uh, telegraphs because if they were able to send telegrams, the book wouldn't be nearly as cool. So I was just like, <laughs> in with the lights, out with the telegrams. Um, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, it's a historical-ish, but what you see in the book is drawn directly from the real world. That's so cool. The map thing, I love that. I I did the same thing. And it, looking at the maps gives you a real sense of time and place. You're like, wow, people actually lived here. And I can see the layout of the streets and the city. And it's it's awesome. I love that you did that. Yeah, I mean, a funny story about maps. Um, so I had drawn a, an extraordinarily rudimentary map for myself. And uh, when the book was going into production, we were talking about like potentially including a map in the book, um, like a lot of fantasy worlds. Um, you know, you'll do a map as an end paper, for example. Um, mm -hmm. And they asked me, like, can we see your map? And so I was like, uh, so I sent it to them. <laughs> and then they looked at it and they were like, is this a map of Eastern Europe? And I was like, no, because of course, oh no, unthinkingly, that was exactly what I had drawn. Um, <laughs> oh, so they were no. like, yeah, like, maybe like, we're not going to make a map for the book because it's it's kind of just like a map of the world like that we have here and i was like yeah <laughs> like i said i'm just not that creative oh my gosh um okay characters can we break down these yes. three these three viewpoints these three people who we get to to meet yes so um first we have dimitri um, Dmitry Alexiev is the former Tsar of Novosvitsevo. Um, he has a very tragic past. He was the youngest son of his family and he became Tsar by accident when his entire family was killed in a bombing. Um, he has not had an easy go of things. He is a sad wet cat at the moment um, <laughs> because he was in an awful relationship with his husband who ended up um, enacting a coup against him and basically kicking him off the throne um, after doing some pretty awful stuff. Um, and so they, you know, fought a civil war to try to unseat Alexei, his, his ex-husband, um, and they lost. So he is currently in hiding in Wilnetsk with the rest of his court, the few people who remained truly loyal to him. Um, so we have Vasily, 
who is the second point of view. He is the spy master of the court of Alexiev, and he is madly and kind of badly secretly um, in love with Dimitri um, mm-hmm. in the sense that he thinks it's a secret, but everyone else like is rolling their eyes. They, they know, <laughs> they all know. Um, <laughs> there's also Ladushka. She is Dimitri's chancellor. Um, so she was the person who was in charge of his court and political strategy. Um, I think I, you know, Dimitri describes her as being made up entirely of political knowledge and, and no blood whatsoever. Um, so she is the sharp and cunning one, um, the person who's always thinking like 20 steps ahead, trying to figure out um, how to keep them all safe. Then there is Misha, who is the doctor. Um, they're the royal physician of the court. And they're like the snarky, um, really sharp elbowed one uh, with a heart of gold. Uh, they can fix anything. And they also love baking. Um and then there's Annika. Um, she is the general um, that led Dimitri's armies. Even though she really hates fighting, she's like uh, very like tender at heart. And she only went into uh, the army because that was kind of her family's legacy. Um, so she had to kind of fight this very brutal civil war. But she, you know, it really damaged her her badly. So that's his court. They're all hiding in a really shitty townhouse um, with bad heat and a lot of vodka. And they're languishing there while Alexei Balakin, um, who is Dimitri's ex-husband, is uh, doing bad things on the throne of Novosvitsevo. So that's that's kind of the setup. That's where we start. Yeah, I oh, we'll talk about Alexei later in the spoiler section. Um, which I, I will just say, yep. we'll, yeah, we'll do the we'll do the non-spoilery stuff, and then we'll let y'all know who are listening when that break happens, so that if you go, nope, don't want to know, which I encourage you, don't spoil yourself. It's really worth it to just go pre-order the book and like wait for it to come out because if you spoil yourself, you're going to be like, god damn it, but it's still great anyways. Um, but it's yeah, you you did a thing in this book that you shocked me and I'm so cynical and <laughs> terribly not easily shocked. So I was like, Oh, look what she did. And now I need the second one. So oh my I'm going to need to know what exactly shocked you about it because I don't think you told uh, me that. And now I'm super intrigued. But we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> talk about segment. that. Yes. We're going to talk about that. I think it was the, just, just to say, I think it was some of the brutality of uh, some things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I was Sorry. like, "Whoa, okay, that was no." It, if it makes you, I, if it makes you feel any better, it gave my parents a big shock when they read it. They <laughs> called me and they were like, "Are you all right?" Oh, <laughs> like, honey, are you okay? <laughs> we didn't know wrong? that our daughter had such dark thoughts. There you go. <laughs> yep, yep. That's we we cover a lot of dark stuff on here, so it's it's. Um, I don't think <laughs> much much of a shock to to a lot of us, but every now and then uh, we stumble across. Oh. What was the last one we just did? We the Chamberlain Con Act that sent me through the roof. Yeah. So yeah, we had to take a break. That we had to talk about cats for like ten minutes because it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, 
So you have these these three main points of view. You have the court also mm-hmm. um, involved in everything. And then you have this rich tapestry of history and religion and belief and magic. And your author's note, which I loved because it really just, it cemented a couple of keystones for me after reading it. Um, you go into detail about this. So without spoiling anything, can you give us a little bit more about... Um, the the history behind the story and and what made you so interested outside of just the personal connection, obviously, but if there was anything else too in there that got you interested in it. It really did start with the personal connection. Um, growing up, I, you know, was reading a ton of fantasy. I've always been a fantasy reader. I started with Redwall um, by Brian Jocks, super yes. classic kids <laughs> fantasy, right? Um, which my parents were also super disturbed by. They were like, why is our daughter reading about all these like mice killing each other? Um, And I was like, it's not the mice killing each other, it's the rats. Yes. Um, So, um, but you know, I always kind of felt like I was looking in on the outside because people would be talking about these books and they'd be like, oh yeah, like, you know, Chronicles of Narnia is the classic Jesus tale. And I was like, who is Jesus? Um, And so for me, I was like, I never really saw myself in books as a kid unless they were like those horrible like Holocaust books um, that mm-hmm. we always had to read in New Jersey public schools, which just for me, it's like when you only see yourself in books when you're the victim um, or when it's centered around some horrible trauma, um, it, it takes all of the joy out of being able to recognize yourself on the page because what mm-hmm. books were saying to me was the only thing you can do is be a victim. Um, and so I always wanted to see people like me in books. Like if Aslan the lion can be Jesus, why can't everyone be a Jew? So that was precisely what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a Jewish normative world that was built, um, you know, not that anything's wrong with like the typical Christian savior narrative, but it just wasn't something that came out of my culture. Um, I wanted a story that was based on my culture and, and my cultural and religious understanding of themes like redemption and forgiveness, um, you know, what it means to relate to um, God and and to practice religion um, in varying forms. And so uh, that was all stuff that I wanted to embed in the world of TSTB. I also, like I said earlier, I am not super creative. So everything that you see in the book is real in the sense that it came from existing accounts of Jewish mysticism and magic. So all of it is from um, folk tales, uh, mostly from Eastern Europe, um, writings of Jewish mystics, Kabbalah, um, you know, even just like standard Eastern European folklore. And so part of the really cool thing for me about writing this book was rediscovering a lot of the things that my ancestors probably would have believed in, um, even things like magic spells that they might have done to try to protect their homes from demons. Um, and kind of explaining some of the the customs or the beliefs that I grew up with that I really never knew the actual origin of. So that was really, really cool for me. Um, and that's kind of what I talk about in the author's note and some of the reasons why that's important, um, I think, in today's world. So that's that's basically like what I started with in terms of a premise. I think that's super awesome. Just like we've got way too much fantasy that's based on like the Christian narrative mm-hmm. or like North American narrative. I, we don't see enough of other cultures 
um, mythology and folklore. And I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it felt so seamless. I mean, really, truly, like I, I, I would have, it all felt like it came from one really heartfelt, inquisitive, earnest place. And I, as someone who is, who really didn't grow up like religious at all, but grew up in the Midwest, I'm from Ohio. So grew up around a lot of churches and a lot of evangelicals. <laughs> like it, I, I didn't feel at it seriously. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I didn't feel at all displaced. Yeah. Like it, it, it really was, it, it just opened my eyes a little bit more as a reader. So I, I just thought that was really cool. My goal was like, you know, in my mind, it's, it's a really simple thing to read a book, right? Um, and I don't really think in any way reading a book could be world changing, but I hope it's just a little bit worldview shifting for people who may not know Jews, who may not have Jewish friends, who may not live in areas where there are tons of Jewish people um, to read a book and like you're saying, be like, huh, this isn't so weird. This isn't so foreign. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you root for my fictitious Jewish characters, I'm like, yeah, so, you know, we probably aren't that bad in real life after all, right? <laughs> um, so it's like my tiny way of hopefully chipping away at some of the anti-Semitism that we see in the world today is writing a story that's relatable to everyone. And then when you figure out like, oh, actually, they're all Jews. They're not called Jews in the book. Um, they're called Buddhism, which is uh, the Russian word for Jew uh, that I took and spoke back into Google Translate. Uh, using the audio function, and when it spit something out phonetically, I took that and wrote it down. Okay. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah. So, if you didn't know that the book was Jewish, maybe you wouldn't guess. You would think it was some made-up fantasy religion um, and a set of, made-up of, made fantasy customs. Um, and so, when you get to the author's note, you might be like, huh, I didn't realize. Um, but yeah. my goal was for for non-Jewish readers to not be alienated by it and for Jewish readers to feel quite at home and quite comfortable in a way that they might not frequently feel while reading books. That's awesome. That gives, that gives me goosebumps. I just freaking love that. I told you too, that's my librarian mm-hmm. roots, Laura. <laughs> I'm really, truly like that's kind of the goal of, of a librarian when it comes to collection development is to make sure that there are as many viewpoints as possible sitting on the shelves for people to discover. And when um, certain books came along uh, that were hyping up, like we're telling stories about like African religion and different parts of the Middle East and, and Australian Aboriginal, you know, folk tales. And as we were starting to see those over the last 10 years or so, I'm like, this is so cool because you could literally build a collection of worldwide um, customs and folklore and give people a chance to to see something and see experiences through someone else's eyes. It's just awesome. And I, I'll do two shout outs here um, on this point. First is obviously to my Random House Canada team. Um, my editors, Amanda Ferreira, and like from the get-go, she was a huge champion of this book. And the entire team has been. And I just want to recognize like all of the care and effort and attention they've put into The Sins on Their Bones because it is not an easy time to be publishing a Jewish book. It is also not an easy time to be publishing a queer book. Um, and so I am yeah. deeply, deeply like honored and appreciative that they have put, you know, the chips that they have in the basket of a queer Jewish book. Um, and I think that's a really special thing. And it's not a chance that a lot of authors have. And so I'm always like eternally grateful to my team that 
they really celebrated and championed the fact that this is a Jewish book. And they haven't once asked me like, hey, can we tone down some of that? Or like, maybe we shouldn't use that in marketing. Um, in fact, they have championed it. Um, and so I am, you know, super, super grateful to be with an imprint that very much understands what I was trying to do with the book, but also fully supports it. And, um, you know, that's a really special thing for an author. Um, and yeah. the second the second shout out um, is to one of my amazing friends, Camilla Cole, um, whose debut, So Let Them Burn, just came out uh, last week. It's Jamaican-inspired fantasy. Um, it is sapphic. It has dragons. Um, it has one of my favorite bookish boys in all of YA. Um, truly incredible book, and everyone needs to go buy it and read it now. Um, but she said in a couple of events last week something that really, really resonated with me, which was the process for her of writing that book was kind of a process of rediscovering her Jamaican heritage and like thinking about what it would have been like to be Jamaican if, you know, colonization hadn't happened or like what the impact of colonization was on the way that she was able to approach and understand her heritage and her culture. And that really resonated with me because for me, the process of writing TSTB was kind of this like reckoning of like, what would, what would we have been if there hadn't been the pogroms that drove my family out of Eastern Europe, or there hadn't been the discrimination, there hadn't been um, a lot of the violence and the anti-Semitism, uh, the poverty and the loss of opportunity. Like, what would the world have been like if it was more Jewish normative and not Jewish negative? Um, mm -hmm. Like my great, my great, great grandpa um, was smuggled out of Warsaw in a cart underneath hay because people were trying to kill him. Um, and so I'm like, I'm only here because of accidents of fate that allowed certain people to escape that kind of horrific violence. Um, like what would my story have been like if that hadn't been the case, if they had been focusing on anything other than just kind of like having to struggle to survive. So in a way, this allowed me to not just connect with parts of my culture, my heritage that had been shed as my family assimilated into American culture and Western culture, um, but also to kind of have a little bit of a bittersweet, like counterfactual, like thinking about what could it have been like? Um, and through that, like, could we imagine a better world where people don't have to struggle with all of this hate and can instead be focused on their shitty ex-husbands and you know the demons that they're trying to bring into the world so <laughs> thank you for sharing that wow oh my goodness that this is one of my favorite things to do with with authors in in any way shape or form is to to hear about the the backstory because even if an author tells me flat out oh well you know i just wrote it i'm like no something inspired you to write this book and what was it and when you get to the heart of that it's usually very personal for a lot of folks so it, wow. it's it's super personal but i do think another one of the interesting things about writing is like how sometimes it can be weirdly impersonal too um so i know that you you kind of asked about the three points of view in the yeah. book um there's dimitri there's alexi and there's Vasily. um but in the version of the book that amanda my editor first saw um, there was no Vasily. There was a girl named Zora. Uh, she was the third point of view in the book. She had been a soldier in uh, Dimitri's army. And 
she just really fucking hated him. Um, and she wanted to kill him. And there was no romance in the book whatsoever. Um, it was like a spy revenge convoluted type of plot with this, this girl who didn't give a shit that Dimitri was royalty and really just wanted to kill him. Um, and then Dimitri being a sad cat, you know, kind of like warmed her up. Um, so I wrote this book. I was like, man, this is a great book. And we sent it off and a bunch of editors read it. Amanda read it too. And she wrote back and she was like, so like, I, I don't want to say this because I don't want Laura to feel like she has to do this. But like, Zora's got to go. <laughs> like, <laughs> she, she doesn't do anything. And I was like, she's like, you know, Zora doesn't add a single thing to the plot. Um, wow. And she said, but that guy was silly. Like, would Laura be at all interested in erasing Zora entirely and making Vasily the third point of view? And so my agent, you know, sent me uh, the email. She was like, yeah, you know, I know you're not going to want to do this, but I send you all of your rejections. And so I'm going to send you this one too. And I looked at it and basically my eyes bugged out of my head. I was lying in bed. It was early in the morning. Um, and I jumped up, I scared my husband who was still asleep. I scared my cats who were lying on me. And I was like, what the fuck did I do? Who is the Zora chick? What is she doing here? I don't know. Like, of course it has to be the silly. And so I ripped apart the entire book because like in that one moment, I was like, this is the story. Like, of course this is the story. So, um, I know a lot of authors who right and then they get really really attached to characters i'm certainly mm -hmm. attached to these characters but that's not like that's not my writing process and so you know it's it's sometimes it's just about like what other people find compelling or what the market finds compelling or someone who's like like on the outside who who hasn't been so deeply enmeshed in the book looking at it and seeing into the heart of it and being like yeah this this girl doesn't doesn't do a single thing um she's got to go <laughs> so yeah that was zora is preserved in one very tiny scene i couldn't get rid of her entirely um but she she is no longer the useless third point of view oh wow. that's a big change to make wow yeah it is oh my gosh how long did it take you to do that rewrite um that took me about uh i want to say like eight eight weeks um okay. i'm a very fast writer um, but at that time, I actually was um, being treated for tuberculosis, oh which I also That's mentioned so in my right. author's note. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was pretty Oof. slow. I was very ill. Um, and actually, towards the end of the editing process, I'm, I'm totally I'm OK now. Um, I was successfully treated. But towards the end of the oh. editing process, my editor was like, yeah, so um, I don't really understand why, but uh, people throw up a lot in this book like there are a lot of stomach-based reactions can we cut those by like 70 percent no <laughs> and i was like i was like oh amanda that's because i spent the entire time that i was writing this puking into a bucket next to my computer oh. um, so not to get not to get graphic but um that was oh. that was certainly an influence um but yeah so it, it slowed me down a little bit i was in the process of um finishing out my dissertation to defend which i actually defended the same week that i got my offer from um amanda which was really cool um, oh my gosh <laughs> yeah it was february of 2022 i finished tuberculosis treatment i defended my dissertation and got my phd and i got a book deal so that was like a banger of a month 
Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Good things come in threes, right? Mm -hmm. Apparently, yeah. You set your bar real high for a a winter month. I know. Like, dang. (laughs) Everyone knows February is a really shitty month. So I was like, I got to make it good. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. What is your PhD in? International relations. Um, So again, I'm not super creative. Um, So a lot of like the politicking and the descriptions of battles and stuff is really just from stuff that I studied. Um, I did a lot of work on Prussian militarism. um, And so looking at um, like the Napoleonic Wars, uh, Franco-Prussian Wars, um, you know, civil war in Russia. Um, So I just took a lot of those descriptions, frankly, and, um, you know, fantasied them. It felt very real. It really did. Like as soon I, as as soon as I found out, you know about about what you do in real life and everything, I was like, oh, that totally tracks because this feels brutal and real, and you feel sympathy for a lot of the people. I'm thinking about the lady that Vasily meets, um, in the in the bar in the pub, and yeah, it's, Zora. Oh. That's my yes, yes, third point of view. That was it. That's, That's it. That was it. That's oh my gosh. I'm terrible at names, so forgive me for that. But yes, oh, she okay. she stuck. She stuck. She really did because she felt like someone you would have read about in a, a true accounting of a war. So props, because dang, good because she had an entire book written about her that was distilled into a single scene. So I'm glad her backstory felt real. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! So do you want to tell the fanfic story? Yes. Um, this is my favorite story. <laughs> okay. This is the first time I'm telling him publicly. Um, oh my God. So I'm a big consumer of fan fiction, not just because I enjoy it, but because I think it's really interesting to figure out what people love about their favorite properties um, and what they want to see more of. So I'm like, I consider myself a student of fan fiction as well. Um, but uh, I was working on what is probably the most pivotal emotional scene of the book it comes you know near the end it's basically like one character writes a letter to another and um in my first draft and like basically in drafts like one through six the letter was like hi um i love you but i'm probably dead now so bye um and (laughs) my editor amanda was like laura this this, like we we need to turn this up to 11 and i was like i don't know how um so i was really struggling with this she was like go read some books that make you feel like you know sad or hopeful or like really express love to you and so i was trying to do that and then she she also likes fan fiction and so she sent me a kylo ren no hux Star Wars yes. fan fiction. <laughs> I am not a Star Wars fan, but I'm a big fan fiction fan. So it's like a 75,000 word fan fiction called Dollars mm. to Donuts. Um, it's like a like art student Kylo Ren bar owner Hux. Like, <laughs> so, like you know, anyway, it was filthy and it was glorious. Mm-hmm. And I read this fan fiction through the night it was 7 a.m i was in bed sobbing like a baby i don't know how i didn't wake my husband up like i was trying to cry really quietly because the ending of this fan fiction just like shredded me into tiny tiny pieces and so i was there i was frantically i was dming amanda um you know i was like "I, i need to explain why this like wrecked me forever i'll never forget it like i don't give a shit about star wars but holy shit this fan fiction just 
just like shattered my heart. And I was typing and typing and typing. And I probably sent her like 70 DMs over the course of an hour and a half, like very early in the morning. <laughs> and she'd occasionally chime in like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like, tell me more. Uh, huh. Um, and I finally like petered out. Like I stopped crying and, and I had like, r- like written this basically screed in DMs. Um, and I was like, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm done now. And she was like, good, go to your computer, uh, copy and paste everything that you just DM'd to me, change the names, and that is your letter. And um, so basically, the pivotal emotional scene of TSTB is almost verbatim a series of DMs I sent to my editor about why a Kylo Ren, General Hux fanfiction destroyed me. (laughs) Amazing. Very little changed from the DMs. It was incredible. That's so good. It's That's so amazing. good. So now every time I am stuck, I'm like, Amanda, send me a story. <laughs> you have an editor who gets you. I love that. Oh my god. Oh, she gets me good. Wow. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I was so delighted when you told me that. I'm like, God, we have to talk about that. Because <laughs> it's it is it it's such a it's such a millennial thing. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all of a certain age here and we're all very familiar with with fan fiction. And and like I told you, um, I really think and y'all can tell me if you disagree, which I would totally get to. But when we play D&D and other things, it kind of feels like we're writing our own in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when, which is just, one you of, know, Kayla and I were in game girlfriends for two oh, years. So like, I know that. <laughs> yeah. Aww. We got married in the end. It was cute. We did get married in the Aww. end. Yeah. And had well, a farm. She didn't again. do to you what, uh, what Alexi did to Dimitri. Hopefully it ended better than that. Oh, it was much. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's all sappy, sapphic, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just ridiculousness with a seven foot tall hyena looking creature and a two foot tall gnome it's just Aww. ridiculous it's very cute yeah I'm a-, a couple of times it could have ended really poorly in one of their really deaths uh, yeah, yeah you guys managed to get around that it was we did okay we did okay uh, uh yeah wild magic could have gone that. off and killed me as well i had things in that oh, whole table that would have been terrible oh god yeah, <laughs> Anyways, totally <laughs> I mean, I love that. I'm a big sucker for one big one small. Um, was one of you the sunshine and one of you the grump? Um, no, I don't think so. No, uh, you're both sun- both sunshines. We were both sunshines. Yeah, That's yeah, cool yeah. Eggs yeah. um, is yeah, a little more it? practical, but you know. So really. <laughs> I think I think in that sense, like. I think eggs would eggs is closer to the grump. She's the one that's that probably gets true. Fired, she gets yeah. fired up a lot easier and is like, Oh, you're gonna yeah. do something to, to cross me? No, fuck you. Yeah, Here's a true. giant fireball to the face. Nice. Yeah. Um Varus is just unflappable. I'm gonna support you, honey, whatever you want. Let's just yep, not go yep. crazy. She really did. It was great. Yeah, I mean, that's so one of the things I love about writing is like, I strive to write books that read like fan fiction. Um, and I just love tropes. So being an author is basically having free reign to stuff tropes into your book, like, yeah. probably in my case, way too much. But um, no, I love it. 
never way too much. The one bed happened so many times and I was so thrilled. Oh, by that. <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite, my favorite was when I got it to be like, there's only one tent in a muddy field yes. during the war. Like, yes, you know, you do whatever Force you want. Proximity. Yes. <laughs> so good. I love it. No, it, it really, I, we talked about this too. And it's kind of like, in the last little bit um, before we get to the spoiler section, but just like I, I had told you that I thought your cadence and your world building was really similar to one of my favorite authors, um, Robert Jackson Bennett, who also has, I don't know that he would say he has a fanfic, fanfic flair, but I think there is a particular cadence to, and I can't, I don't know how else to describe it. And mm-hmm. when I, when I read it, I was like, oh yes. Cause I really haven't stumbled across that too much. Maybe a marvelous light. Freya Marsk, there was, because I know she's a fanfic writer too, there's a certain cadence to her writing. Um, so it's your fault if I get inspired by your writing. I blame you, if that's okay. You would be uh, flattered. <laughs> I would be incredibly flattered. Um, it's already there, it's already built in. So you're, yeah, yeah straight I mean, path I, right ahead. This was honestly the hardest question um, that you gave me, like just in terms of thinking through it. Um, I, Definitely, I wouldn't say I was inspired by any one author, as in, like, I set out to, like, try to Mm -hmm. write like someone else, but there were, I feel like I pick up a little piece of something from every book I read or every movie I watch um, that, like, I want to reproduce for my readers. Um, So, I don't know if anyone um, on this podcast has read Captive Prince. No. That trilogy. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah, so th- it's like I mean, look at the content warnings before you re- before you jump in because they're mm-hmm. they're pretty serious. But it's one of I think the most stunningly beautiful like relationship arcs I've ever read. And there are a couple of lines in that book that I feel like are tattooed onto my brain at this point. Um, so I always wanted to chase moments that made me feel like that. Um, same thing with like Madeline Miller and Song of Achilles. Um, that was incredibly formative for me when it came to thinking about how to make readers really feel yearning between two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, like fan fiction obviously was a huge, um, huge inspiration for me, just like the, the extreme volume of fan fiction that I've consumed over the years. Um, there are a couple <laughs> that have stuck in my head and just been like, I will remember that fan fiction forever. And so mm-hmm. I, it was more like I wanted to give readers the certain emotions that I always treasure feeling as a reader. And hopefully in some way I succeeded. Um, but I was like, I'll settle for getting like one real human person to cry like one real human tear. Um, so that's, that's kind of my goal. Well, you got me. So... <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting in the chair by our fireplace, sitting there going, what the fuck? Like, really, really caught up. Yeah, my husband was like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not. Go away. <laughs> I'm having emotions right now. <laughs> it is so, so good. And we could probably talk for like an hour just about, I think, the influence that fanfic has had on on lots of readers and, and authors, because it, it really has become such a formative place for people to experiment and try their hand at things and not feel the the scary part of, necessarily, for some people, of like, oh my god, someone else is going to read this, because you just kind of 
push it out on the internet. And if you're like me, I just push it out on the internet and then I never look at it again. (laughs) (laughs) I worked through a heavy emotion (laughs) by writing between these two characters and gone, "Mm, okay, now we're good. So I will say I I give huge, huge props to all fanfic writers because I have actually never written fan fiction in my life. Except for my closest friends, I have written joke fan fiction for them, and I have written self <laughs> fan fiction of TSTV, yes. which my editor informs me is just canon. Like an <laughs> author can't write fan fiction <laughs> of their own yeah. book, <laughs> um, but it's I definitely did some crack fic of TSTV, which Hallie has, and you know, oh yes, I do. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> and I have enjoyed it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I give huge props to anyone who does that. I'm just too scared to like touch other people's babies uh, with my yeah. writing. So like, I just, I, I don't feel like I'm like good enough to play in the sandbox of my favorite authors. So, um, but you know, there are so many fanfic writers who have just been so formative for me, yeah. um, just in terms of style and how to tell a story and how to capture readers and like keep them reading through a 350,000 word fan fiction. Oh um, my God. Yeah. You know, which I have done. Yep. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, I think the longest one I ever read was half a million. Holy words. shit. That's long. Yeah, that was long. And I, mm, yep. Mm-mm. <laughs> I was like, why am I reading this? Why am I reading this? Because I was caught up and I couldn't let it go. And I I don't usually read them until they're complete. Because fanfic is notorious for leaving it being left uncom- you know, unfinished. Um, so I waited and I waited and I waited and it took them three years. And then I read the whole thing and was like, wow, okay, I think I need to, like, go for a walk or something or go touch grass (laughs) before I (laughs) come back and do anything. But it was good. I'm just not. Yeah. Okay. Kayla and Nathan are not going to be shocked by this, particularly Kayla. It was Hannibal. Oh, okay. (laughs) Listen. Was it it Granable? Yep. Yeah. 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 It was brutal. It was brutal. I couldn't stop reading it. It's like, what is wrong with me? Oh my god. Ugh. Okay, so we're gonna get into spoiler territory. So before we do that, if anyone wants to just cut it off right now, Laura, um, if you could tell folks where to find your book, it comes out on May 7th, correct? And just anything else you want folks to know before we go into spoiler territory. Um, yeah, please, please buy my book. <laughs> Um, you can pre-order <laughs> it online. Yep, please please buy my book. It lets me write more books. Um, yep. And pre-orders are super important for debut authors in particular because um, it shows the publisher that there is interest. Um, you can pre-order it anywhere that you like to buy books. Um, if you go to my website, laurarsamonton.com, um, I have like all the pre-order buttons and links um, and you could just Google it. They, it shows up. Um, and it's out, you know, if, if you read in english you should be able to get it uh on may 7th um and i'm crossing my fingers again that um we might get translations or or other things like that so yeah hopefully there's some cool stuff coming down the pipeline awesome awesome and go to your library and request it if they um they can buy early and pre-order it and it'll show up in the library catalog and then you can put a hold on it that's always good uh you can use libby app or any of the ebook apps for libraries to request for your library to purchase it uh don't forget your indie bookstores those are always very important too i i will also Um, shout out for any canadian listeners um indigo has it as um, a most anticipated um 
science fiction fantasy book for 2024, and you can actually pre-order it for 30% off, I believe, for the next week. So right. um, if you're in Canada, go go grab it. That's All right, awesome. Then. Heck yeah. Sweet. Okay. So this is where Kayla puts the spoiler warning. <laughs> Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Spoiler, spoiler, like, spoiler. Courtney's spoiler. Like, yeah. I was like, yeah, where's where's Courtney's horn oh, at? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Ready? 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 Yep. There we go. <laughs> so stupid. Spoilers. Oh my god. Spoilers. Here we go. Okay, 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 okay. Oh all right. I'm gonna circle back on your research because you were killing me with this ritual that Alexi forces Dimitri to go through. What the fuck? Laura. Yeah, so this is real. Um, so Oof. I mean, real in the sense that it's a folktale. Um, so in the book, spoiler again, um, so Alexi is, is not quite alive um, when we start the book. He has undergone a ritual to basically die and then come back in an immortal, indestructible body. Um, and the way that he does that is um, you know, first he wants Dimitri, uh, his husband, to undergo this ritual because Dimitri's entire family is dead. They don't have any children. Um, there's there's really like no one to take the throne, and there are a lot of political threats that are encroaching on Novosvetsevo. But Dimitri won't do it because what he's suggesting that they do is like very uh, blasphemous. And so Dimitri is religious and, and does not want to spurn God that way. So what happens is. Um, I won't. I won't go full spoiler, but um, Dimitri is tricked into killing his husband, um, and then has to follow a very complicated set of directions that Alexi has left for him. And uh, they involve uh, taking Alexi's body and cutting it up and putting it in a dome uh, that's filled with like chemicals and stuff that mimics the sap of the tree of life, and then sealing the dome with lead, and then breaking it open. And like in a few months, he's he's back. Um, but back not completely right, of course. So uh, this whole ritual, um, I, I took bits and parts of it from different places, but the essence of the folktale is uh, the homunculus of Maimonides, which is an Eastern European folktale um, where Maimonides, who's a famous Jewish scholar, um, comes upon a recipe for creating life um, and involves like, again, like chemicals that mimic the sap of the tree of life. And um, so he creates this being this homunculus um and then when it's born he realizes that he has created this being that doesn't have a soul um that is like really terrifying and, and unnatural and not supposed to be alive um so he kills it um he buries it and he realizes like he fucked up and he's like i'm sorry god and god's like that's cool um so i wanted to take that because i thought it was so interesting the idea of like you're creating life but it's wrong um, and I always love a good trope of like, he comes back from the dead, but like, he's not quite right. So that was where that particular ritual comes from. I was going to say, it sounds very like alchemical. So that makes so much sense. And once you said the homunculus thing, I'm like, yeah. oh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty gross. gross. That was, it was, <laughs> it was brutal. It was so brutal. And I felt so bad for Dimitri. I mean, I feel bad for Dimitri no matter what, because he's an awful husband, but it's like, he had to kill his husband and then the body's there. And I'm like, Oh my God, the <laughs> torment he went through was just 
Oh yeah, you you stabbed me in the heart a little bit there. So I I oh. I, I do I feel bad for putting Dimitri through that, but um, I know. Yeah, oh. sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no. It it really I, that is one of those things that I will probably never forget because of the image of Alexi's body bits body in this dome where Dimitri goes to see if anything has happened is just I don't know. I, it really yeah, was like, scary. He, he drags his friends with him. Yeah. And, you know, they all kind of have to watch him as he's like crying yeah. over this dome containing the, you know, quartered body of his ex-husband who actually was a terrible person. And he drags Vasily to the dome and Vasily's got to watch him like cry. Um, and, you know, that's, it was mean of me, but <laughs> I like to think it worked out in the end. It worked out. It does, yeah. It it worked out, but it was wow. That was one of those formative moments in in the book where I was like, "This is." I think this is one of those scenes that people are going to talk about when they read it and have it really stick with them because it's very visceral. That was one of the scenes where my parents were like, "Are you all right?" <laughs> oh, oh no! <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, it's a folktale. Yeah, totally fine. Yeah, totally cool. Yeah. Everything's normal here." <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, so, okay, so let's talk about Alexi because we really haven't dove into him. Mm -hmm. um, and I wrote on the questions that, you know, he's clearly a dynamic character, which you and I talked about a little bit. He's very charismatic. He's very manipulative. He's ambitious. He's got some, a lot of the signs of a very classic abuser. Um, so what was the, what was the process of writing him like for you? Yeah, so I think Alexi is probably one of the characters who was most shaped in the editing process as I kind of I like to think of it as like peeling back layers to kind of uncover what I wanted the character to be, but also what I wanted the reader to get out of the character. Um, I very much, you know, in the books that I read, I like villains where it's, it's definitely like the banality of evil. Like Alexi, number one, is great at his job. Like, he is a bang-up czar. Like, Dimitri was not very good at his job. He had a good heart. He was well-intentioned. But, like, you know, he didn't understand, like, we can't spend all our money on universal pre-K because then, like, we won't, we won't have food. Um, and so um, Alexi definitely has a little more of that political sense and a little more of that hard-heartedness that you kind of, you know, needed being, a, you know, a 19th century ruler of you know a massive territory um and so you know he has good qualities and he isn't a completely awful 1000 percent detestable person um and i hope there's something a little bit like dark and magnetic about him i i think i like to think of it as like the darkling um and shadow and bone like you know you know he's the villain but like, he's still kind of hot. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I wanted to go for that kind of like, he, he's not completely the villain. Like there's something to like about him, but yeah. also like, he is not a good person. Um, he, he did abuse his husband. Um, and I go into that a lot in the book. Um, he, I, I thought one of the most interesting parts of having the point of view as the villain of the villain is that he, 
justifies all of this to himself and like no one thinks that they're the villain of their own story right right um and so i found it really interesting from a psychological perspective to explore what that would have been like um for him to be basically confused as to why his husband fell out of love with him and confused as to why people don't like him um because he's like i'm just doing what needs to be done like dimitri wouldn't do what was necessary to protect the country and protect himself I did this out of love. Um, and so he is a very complex character. And I, I hope, you know, I hope that he creates a lot of complex feelings in people. I don't think I've done my job well, if you're just like, wow, this is just a totally awful person. I have zero shred of sympathy for him whatsoever, because that's not how the villains in real life. That's not how they are. Um, and so I wanted to make him really fully believable and not just like a black and white cartoon villain. Um, right. Like he's a thousand percent awful all of the time. Yeah. Yeah. He's not twirling his mustache all the time. That's definitely <laughs> not what, what is happening with him. And getting into his brain was really interesting as a reader because it, it's it's very easy for, you know, for me to be like, oh, look at this piece of shit. Like, what the hell? And then the further you get in, you you can start to understand especially from the political sense, because he is very smart and very crafty, and he definitely knows what he's doing. Like you said, he's a, he is a very good czar. Um, but on a personal note, you're like, what is... Wh why? What are you doing? Quit being a bitch! Like, I kind of like wanted to slap he, him a little bit. Yeah, I definitely want to slap him all of the time. Um, he... <laughs> That's fair. Right, like he is—he is a bad person. He is an abuser, yeah. um, and in no way do I want to excuse that. And, and part of what I wanted to do with TSTB is to depict a more complex relationship with abuse, especially for yeah. victims as they um, reckon with what happened to them and as they recover um, and kind of come back to their sense of self. Um, right. So, absolutely, like that part of him is completely inexcusable. Um, so it was balancing that with like the tenderness that he shows to animals, for example, or like how good he is at his job. Um, and really kind of, I wanted people to see him as a very complex and multi-layered villain um, because at the end of the day, that is what he is. He is the villain of the story. Um, and there is no way that he isn't, but I always think it's, it's just a more satisfying reading experience for me personally, when I'm like, grappling with the villain as a whole person like in themselves mm -hmm. um kayla will get this i immediately when i read alexi i was thinking about logaine mm. yeah okay. so logaine laura i don't know if you're a video gamer at all logaine is a character in the original dragon age origin game from bioware from way back when um it's quite old by now uh but he he had that that sense he uh kayla can you explain that you can explain this way better than i can okay sure <laughs> yes please you're the expert oh my god oh my god okay well no it's just like oh game was put in a position where it's like well i could do the dumb but noble thing or i could do the thing that's best for my country and i'll do whatever it takes to make sure that my country is in the best position possible not just what i personally want or need is generally kind of like how i see it yeah, and he has a, yeah. an interesting relationship with his daughter, and 
And he, he, he is very, like, I, I hate him. And at the same time, I do have sympathy for him. So immediately I was like, oh my God, this is, this makes me think of Loghain. And I think Loghain is one of the most like interesting, controversial uh, <laughs> characters still in the fandom that's been around for like 20 years. Yeah. It's sure. definitely, that, that sounds, I'm, I'm probably gonna have to play that game. Not that I, I'm I think any you good will. video games whatsoever, but like, oh. um, it's exactly what I wanted to do with Alexi. And um, he always thinks that what he's doing is being done for the right reasons and for noble reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, he is supremely convinced that he, you know, he alone knows the way to keep everyone safe. And I think that that is like the the impulse to keep the people who you love safe um, is something that is pretty easily universally understood. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just that there's a fine line between doing that and then putting people in a cage so that, you know, they basically exist completely under your control because you think that you're the only person who knows what the right thing to do is. What's best. Um, Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think you would be interested in in him as a character. There's a couple of uh books too about him, right, Kayla? Yeah, the other Stolen Thrones, the first one. Stolen Thrones, that was it. Yeah, that one was was that a David Gator? Yes, written? he wrote the first three. Yes. That was it. Okay, yeah, David Gator's a really good writer. Um yeah, it's it I I so enjoy those those types of really complex, very difficult to kind of reckon with um villains because it's black and white's fun but it's boring at the same time like it gets old really quick for me and yeah so it's i just i wanted to to talk a a little bit about him because i i just think it's such an interesting and there are gonna be and you know this there are gonna be people who are like how could you how dare you (laughs) And that's fine. And like, not every book is, that's, you know. Not every book is for every person. And that's also why exactly. I was pretty adamant about putting a content warning in the front yes. of the book, which links to mm. very detailed content warnings on my website. Um, because I like this, this book very well might be triggering for people um, who don't want to take a peek inside the mind of an abuser who is continually justifying his abuse to himself. Um, right. I, again, don't. You know, my intention was never to um, justify abuse, um, but for those people for whom it would be difficult to read, definitely, like, this is this is not the book for you, and that's totally okay. Um, yeah. But, yeah. We've, we've had, um, w- we've had some things. Kayla ha- has a continuing um, story um that has has dealt with a lot of abuse that she's she's talked to survivors and and that kind of thing and it's really given us an education in the mindset of people who are on both sides of these situations and how difficult it is for survivors to get like you had said to get out of it to come back to themselves to try to figure out who they are afterwards and if that's the same person as who they were before, um, there's there's big, a lot big, here to think about. A big part of what um, Dimitri reckons with is still loving his husband. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. things were good for them once, um, and I think that that nostalgia and the guilt that comes with it is something that a lot of um, abuse victims like really grapple with. Like. 
mm-hmm. you know, this, this idea that like you recognize what's going on, you get away, you like escape and um, then you start to heal. Um, I think it's a little less linear than that. And there are a lot of complicated emotions that come up where, um, you know, like you, you, you still love this person in a way, um, even as you recognize that they're incredibly toxic and they've hurt you. Um, and it's just, it's not as simple as like, oh, I realized that this person is an abuser and, and now I've escaped. Um, so that's something I really wanted to, it was very personally meaningful to me to mm-hmm. um, depict that kind of emotional journey on the page. Um, and I hope that there are readers that it resonates with as well. Yeah. Yeah. It did for me. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a, a, a survivor as well. And it, it, that complicated emotional process and it honestly, for a lot of people, you know, it's, it's lifelong afterwards sure. you're never going to be able to fully um i don't even know how to word it it's it's just whatever healing means to people it's different for everybody i guess sure. is what i'm trying to say yeah so i just i wanted to to compliment you on that because it is very complex and it there were a couple of times i put it down and i was like you know what this is a good time for me to go make a cup of tea and just who <laughs> let this process a little bit because it's it's a really tough thing from a lot of angles. So thank you for depicting it in a way that is very, um, uh, I think, very meaningful and I think very important for folks who maybe don't, hopefully, all have that experience to see um, how difficult it can be to get out of those situations. Thank you for that. Um, that's exactly what I wanted. I will like bring it back around to being a little bit lighter in the sense that, um, so I revised this book like, dozens of times at this point i probably read this book somewhere on the order of 50 times um the words have lost all meaning to me whatsoever <laughs> it no longer evokes any sort of emotion in me like i just read these words like they're the encyclopedia so i'm still a little bit stunned by anyone who expresses like that this book touched them or evoked emotion in them um so it's really really gratifying to hear as an author that um my words are making people feel things um and and hopefully feel less alone or maybe like understand a little bit of themselves just a little bit better. Um, because that's like, I'm, I'm so far beyond being able to feel emotion from this book that um, it's really, it's truly incredible. Awesome. That's the thing um, that they don't tell you about publishing is you better love your book to death because <laughs> by like the 70th time you've read the manuscript, you're just going to be like, I get this thing away from me. <laughs> <laughs> it no longer makes it will no longer makes any sense in English. I yep. like, I'm sick of it at this point. Um, so I, I I still love I love all my babies. Um, but you know we've we've been through a lot together, TSTB and I. Yeah, you have some really cool fan art on your mm-hmm. um, website. Commission is really been, cool. I have been super lucky to work with a number of incredibly talented artists. Um, uh ash rns who's a spooky iced um on instagram has done phenomenal art for me um gianni philly has done great art carolyn jam her um rosie thorns um just like so many artists i've been so lucky to work with and that's another incredible thing as um an author because i write with words i can't draw actually my stick figure drawings of um sex positions to make sure that everything was like (laughs) anatomically accurate I think are like a little notorious in my like friend group um, of writers. Uh, so to be able to like see the people who I created like visually is is 
stunning. And uh, the cover art for the book was done by Talia Abramson. Um, She's an incredibly talented cover designer. Um, And uh, Ash's art is also in the interior of the book and on the chapter headings. So um, it's really special and stunning. That's so cool. That's something ugh, I love that Kayla's done a bunch of, of art for me. And I'm just like, Oh my God, look at them. They're not just in my head anymore. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, it's really wild. It's wild when other artists participate in your hallucination with you. Um, I, I find that to be particularly special. I love that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's go back a little something a little bit lighter to kind of round things out. You and I had talked about the complex relationships between queer people. I loved that article that you sent me because that really reinforced um, what I was along the lines of what I was thinking. Um, so where it concerns the different relationships in the book, and I'm especially talking about like uh, where Dimitri and Vasily start versus where they end. And things like uh, friendly love versus, you know, like sex as a relief or sex as a healing notion or uh, the way Dimitri's court uh, works with him. I, I love Misha so much. Oh, my gosh. Like, they are wonderful. They're all great. Misha hit me a little bit because I love how practical they are. And then they're a baker. and they're I don't know. Sorry. I'm fangirling a little bit. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Misha is like Misha's one of my favorites. Misha's like the mean mother hen. Yes. Like, Misha Misha doesn't want anyone to realize how deeply they care. And so they like yes. wrap up all that care with meanness. Like I made a nutrient dense calorie laden chocolate mousse and I'm gonna scream at you if you don't eat it all, but it's because I'm secretly worried that you're so thin. Like, um, definitely like that, like Jewish parent um ethos of like <laughs> what have, have you eaten recently you're so thin and like don't leave the house without 17 coats even it's like july um so um yeah i i wanted to really create a dynamic court um and you know i didn't go into it to intentionally like speak to different types of love um but it ended up being really important um the article uh hallie that you were referencing is the rainbow ship by ariel silver wilner on lilith um came out in november 2023 um it's definitely worth a read um kind of talking about how especially in the queer community friendships can become um you know like can can break through the boundaries of traditional heteronormativity um i think that something I've always appreciated, um, especially like reading because uh, I always just like loved it as a little trope is like platonic affection, like physical affection. So like braiding someone's hair, massaging their feet, um, little like tokens of care and love between people. Um, Annika's always knitting socks like for Dimitri. Um, Misha's always baking. Uh, Lada's always like doing her plotting thing to make sure that like they don't die or run out of money. Um, and so I really wanted to make everyone in the court like vivid and a full person, which took a lot of effort because when you have point of view characters, they are always the ones who are going to stand out the most you see inside their heads. Um, and so then sometimes you have like uh, background characters that really feel like they're in the background. But I wanted to give each of them their own backstory, their own connections, their own importance uh, to Dimitri to really make it feel like a family because that's what it is. It's the family that he's chosen. 
because his family, obviously, they're all gone, um, but they weren't that great to him to begin with. And so I, I think that that's, you know, certainly something the found family trope is something I love. Um, but I also think there's a reason why it's so popular because it's a recognition of the fact that there are so many different types of love in the world. There's the love that we have for our family. There's the love that we have for our friends. There's romantic love. Um, there's love that crosses all of those boundaries. Like my siblings are some of my best friends. Um, so are my parents, like my husband's my best friend. Um, and so it's, you know, I, I really enjoy reading about like relationships that intertwine all those different kinds of love because I feel like it makes relationships all the more vibrant. Um, and obviously, you know, I like, I feel that way in real life. Um, I have friends that I consider to be like basically my siblings and my siblings are my friends. And um, it's all, I think a little more, uh, fluid, uh, a little more of a rainbow mm-hmm. than like your traditional, like, this is the friend, this is the spouse, this is the love interest, this is the villain, this is like, right, um, where everyone's just right. really firmly in a box. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely been a, and I know that we've all seen it, you know, conversations online about, especially with queer people, building that chosen family and how important that is in a world that uh, a lot of times, you know, is against you in so many ways. And, and you're just trying to find people who accept you for who you are. And those relationships get to be deep on a level that you can't really um, copy anywhere else. They're very, very special. It was obvious to me from the beginning that these people in Dimitri's life didn't just see him as, as the sad, wet cat, but really cared for him and loved him on a lot of levels and it it felt very real i also like i wanted i wanted to create a cast of characters around him where these people understood his position and like were reckoning with the reality of that and what that meant for the happiness of their friend because so much of the book is about having to make those choices between what is best for the country and what is best for yourself like what are you willing to give up to win um, how much of yourself are you willing to give up and for what? Um, and so I think part for me of, of like the heartbreak of it all is um, like loving someone who you know that you're going to have to let something bad happen to, or you're going to have to let them be unhappy because, um, you know, that's what it's going to take to keep the country safe. Um, so I really wanted to display that tension within the court and um, make those characters like feel as vibrant as possible. It works very, very well. Every single one yeah. of the characters feels real. I'm glad. That's like that's a huge compliment for an author. Is like the the characters feel like they're real people. They definitely feel real to me. They've been living in my head for years at this point. So I'm just <laughs> glad other people think that way too. Yeah, totally. Um, did you anybody else have anything? Uh no, not off the top of my head. <laughs> I've just been enjoying yeah, listening same. for the most part. I know, I know, yep. savesies. Yeah, yeah. That's we're just we're enraptured, Laura. You got us. That's this is the quietest I think we've ever been. So. <laughs> I talk a lot. We don't mind. No, 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 no. This is <laughs> a good thing. We do not mind. No. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. We do not mind at all. I have not ever seen these people in person, and I'm trying to get out to see them in the fall. And I know we're just all gonna like talk over each other the entire time we're out there. And my poor husband is gonna watch us like a deer in the best neurodivergent like, way possible. <laughs> it's, it was exactly. actually 
It is called collaborative overlap. When you talk <laughs> across people, oh. it is it is a very Jewish thing and it is a very neuroatypical thing. Um, and so I do it all the time. But yeah, it's actually, it's a specific type of communication um, found oh, in wow. very tight-knit communities. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, it it's just Western <laughs> white patriarchy uh, telling us we're rude. <laughs> who's yeah, who's no, surprised? Like, come to dinner. Come to dinner at my house. Everyone's screaming over each other all the time. And, like, like an Italian I get very dinner. confused in situations. Yeah, I get very confused in situations where only one person's talking at the time. I like that really throws me for a loop. I'm like, am I just supposed to like sit here and like listen and be quiet and then like pass the talking stick mm-hmm. like that? That freaks me out. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we will wrap this up by uh, just asking you, what are you working on right now? Oh, so many things. Um, so, I have another queer Jewish book on submission right now. So, we're trying to get editors to buy it. Editors, please buy my book. Um, it's uh, a story set in a haunted Jewish archive. Um, where the uh, the main character is uh, a researcher and he's basically going to go complete a project, but um, obviously things go very sideways. Um, but I also co-write with my very dear friend, Ben Alderson. We have a book that's about to go out on sub, which we are pitching as um, Interview with the Vampire Meets Discovery of Witches Meets Saltburn, um, because it is... Uh, a Romeo and Juliet retelling set in modern day Oxford with uh, vampires from warring families. Um, and of course they fall for each other. Um, nice. So uh, yeah. And then I'm just in the middle, honestly, of um, editing the sins on their bones too, which doesn't have a title yet. Um, so that's always a very long process to go through the first round of developmental edits, but it's exciting because I am seeing the story take shape um, and kind of digging into what it really can be. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm working on now and some secret things I can't talk about, but which are also extremely exciting. Um, so hopefully I have more news soon that I can let out of my hair so it's less full of secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I love that reference. It's so good. We will um, make sure that on the page for this that we put up your website and your socials. I also, uh, Kayla, I threw the link to that article in the doc as well so that you have it i think it's a great article it's a good reference i think for people um to to take a look at and uh yeah laura thank you so very much for your time we really appreciate it this was amazing and hopefully maybe you'll want to come back at some point and we can chat some more about uh fanfic and why it's awesome and amazing anytime i am always happy <laughs> to collaboratively overlap with y'all this was really fun so um, we also thank like you very to much read. for having me on <laughs> we also like to read fanfic on here. So if you want to come true. on and be one of oh our God. narrators and read for us, that would be awesome. Anytime. <laughs> you just tell me when and where. She saw that we had read My Mortal. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh yeah. God. <laughs> I, I, that's, I couldn't do that one, though, because I would laugh too hard. There was a lot it's of that. Like, there was a lot of yeah. that. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be able to get. I wouldn't be able to get through the point at which they were hacked. The hack is like my. That would be my Achilles heel. Like I, I wouldn't be able to read through that part. Um, it was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was a comedy of errors. Um, <laughs> Anything else you want me to time. read? I am so happy to do it. I gotta. I have to practice my reading voice. So. Oh, but perfect. <laughs> That's what we want. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you, Laura, so, so much. Y'all can go get The Sins on Their Bones. You can pre-order it. Please visit your indie bookstores and your libraries. We always want to support those. You can go to bookshop.org, and then it will link you to an indie bookstore, which is always wonderful. Uh, and then you'd said that Indigo has it on a pre-sale special price right now. So that's great. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so very much. And uh, yeah, we will see y'all later. Thank you. Thank get you. Craig out. You can hang on, Laura. We just kick You don't have to run away out. this second. No. Yeah, you <laughs> don't have to run away. Yeah, no, no. You're okay. good. You're good. We just, yeah, we I mean, just bullshit afterwards. Want, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. We don't want to disrespect. That's it for this week. Again, we would like to thank Laura so much for coming on the show and giving us a peek behind the curtain. The Sins on Their Bones will be available at bookstores everywhere on May 7th, 2024. So be sure to snag yourself a copy. And better yet, if you want to show even more support, pre-order the book, whether it be through an online retailer, a small mom and pop bookstore, or even your local library. Every pre-order tells Laura's publishers just how excited people are for this book and that we need more queer historical books in the world. Links for pre-orders and additional information can be found on Laura's website, which is laurarsamotin.com. Links to this can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com or in the description below. Keep on being exceptional, humans, and have a wonderful weekend. Mm-hmm.